I thought there'd only be about six people here tonight because everybody, many comings and goings. It can be a bit different this evening because we don't usually read things. Well, I've never read things from this high seat. But uh, I was meant to give a talk next, next week. And then on the 18th, I usually see my family about once a year at Christmas. And they're not a wild bunch, so it's not a kind of wild time. They're fairly conservative. So I see them over Christmas, just over Christmas. So I, I happened to mention somebody, this, this um, old um, translation of a Zen thing, Hisin Hisin Min, which is Verses of the Faith Mind, which many people have most probably read. Um, and usually when I do a 10-day retreat, um, I usually, instead of doing the paritas in the, in the, at the end, because I'm not so good at that, I always recite the verses of the faith mind, which takes about between eight and ten minutes. And uh, as people know, and I know me, I'm very dyslexic, so reading difficulties and things like this at school. But but this little booklet, I actually more or less learnt off by heart, so I feel quite confident at reading it. If it's light, if the light lights up. Some people have heard it. I think most probably Sister Sundra, knowing Sister Sundra in the 1970s, mid-1970s, when the monks first came over, it suddenly came out then. You know, it was on a tape and uh, by Ramdas, and everybody really loved it. And everybody in the monastery, when the monks came over, everybody was trying to learn it. But they were trying to learn it off of the tape and from the little booklet. So even people like me from Luton um, was reciting verses from the faith mind with an American accent. You know, we learned it from an American accent and uh, it was very popular. The translation, I think it goes on for about 10 minutes, you'll be, looking, you'll be getting excited. It's not that exciting. But um, uh, there's different translations and this translation's from back, back then and actually the man who translated it, had it informed me later on that he'd done a better translation, it's a much more clearer translation, and I can't read it in Chinese. <laughs> so, so you've got this kind of poetic form, and about, uh, about a year or two ago, I said to one of the other senior monks who was around in the nine, at that same time, I said, you know, there's still, <laughs> do you remember that uh, verses from the faith mind? And he suddenly went in his yarn, and he produced a really tatty copy of the, the original one he did in 1976 or 8. So he kept it that long. There are a couple of, a couple of, uh, there are a couple of bits in it that from, uh, if you're a 100% Theravadan monk like me, not that I would know more than a third Zen patriarch, but there's certain elements of it, the way it's, you know, the words used, there's certain elements which are, a 100% Theravadan monk might have a bit of an issue with, but it doesn't mean that that's wrong or he's wrong. You know, it still captures, it captures the whole essence of an attitude of practice. And uh, Lompour gave a lovely talk. His last talk last week was so, 
so kind of rounded and it always when we when we're um, when you've been practicing a long time it's not that you're it's not that you've got to some advanced stage or anything like that but you tend to your practice becomes very simple so something when Ajahn, uh, when Lumpur talks you know about being aware awareness or remaining aware or the knower or something like this it's always kind of you know, you can attune to that. It doesn't mean you've realised anything, but you can attune to it. You have, you do know what your awareness is, and you've you've obviously had some sort of the awareness is broad enough and come come forward enough, or become aware of you become aware of it enough that you see it's a kind of a, an impersonal kind of a factor of yourself, which you, which becomes a, an abiding. You can be there be with it all the while so it's when you give talks we're always always talking in the same terms about awareness so it must get um must get a little boring you know i mean it's different some people can analyze the suttas and wonderfully and i've got no criticism of that um i think it's wonderful i've heard some people who really know suttas brilliantly and uh, can i heard a monk talk about the, the what we the for those who know, the Paticca Samupada. And then he's taken an element of Paticca Samupada and he's, he's gone out on an element of it and just spread out and painted this wonderful picture of concepts all, you know, from that and then come back into the Paticca Samupada, an element of it, and then gone out. And out. I mean, that's very, very wonderful. But I've got that sort of brain. <laughs> I have got that. I have actually got that sort of brain, but I haven't done the study. I'm showing off now, but I've got that sort of brain, but I, I haven't done the study to be able to do that kind of thing. So we're always pointing to uh, most of us, our point, because in a monastery like this, you've got all these monks, a lot of you monks have been around a good few years now, and uh, we've got a good, good uh, sense of what you're doing, your practice, so you don't really need someone talks all the while. A nun said to me a few years ago, I said, oh, we're repeating the same stuff. And then she said, oh, she says, well, Bunty, we need our porridge every day. You know, it's nice to have porridge every day, which is quite nice. It's quite complimentary. But um, also in a place like this, we get lots of new people who, who, who because they've usually come to Buddhism and got ideas from somewhere of read, read things and different traditions and become, you know, can be quite confused, confusing for people. So it's quite nice for them to have people put things in very simple terms, you know. But still people have an image that, oh, well, when I've been meditating as long as that person, you know, it'll be different. I'd be an advanced person. But then the more, the longer you go on, the more simpler it does become. Because your question in mind is a sort of, you come to terms with your question in mind. It's, and uh, these great scriptures, you know, when I remember Lomosomedo coming to Sri Lanka once and being in this place, and it was crowded. It was a room, it as big as this, crowded with all people come to see him. And then this man gave this very intricate question. It wasn't quite Abhidhamma, but it was, <laughs> it was uh, you know, pretty complex. Buddhist question. Lompur just looked at him. <laughs> and then Lompur started talking about 
tuning into the sound of silence. You know, <laughs> it didn't give this didn't give this man anything. You know, he just went straight to directing people to how to bring the mind into the present and being uh, calming the mind and, and getting a sense of being, getting a sense of your being. But it's very hard to describe. I mean, mind mind is very hard to describe. So you get these wonderful scriptures and. Uh, Lumpur talks. I had someone said to um, the kind of American guru Ramdas, he said, does it all change? Because someone asked me this kind of question today after the meal. Does it all change? Because I got a bit of a cranky, speedy personality. And I said, you don't get rid of your personality. You've still got your traits. And uh, I think I might mention it in the last talk, but for people who hadn't heard it, then... uh, Ramdas said, well, he said, you know, when I was young, I had a flat and it was full of rubbish, you know, and it had the settee close, everything, it couldn't move, it was really cramped and all that. And he said, now I've got the same stuff, but I live in an aircraft hangar. And I thought that was a good description of, uh, you know, how, how our mind comes if we persevere with this, if we keep at it year after year, just reflecting doesn't mean you have to read. I was, I was mentoring a monk. He's a very sweet person, but he disrobed in the end. But every time we go in the computer room, he was downloading talks. And he had hundreds of talks. And I said, how many talks does it take you know, <laughs> for you to actually start observing, start reflecting? And I don't mean reflecting. It's uh, this thing reflecting in a kind of... In our world, it's very much thinking and analysing, and it doesn't mean you don't analyse, but reflecting, you know, as some people would know, it's reflecting by just reflecting. When I look at you now, out here, I'm not thinking, I'm reflecting. Object of sight, eyes, consciousness, and then I'm just observing. And it's having the faith that is, that is reflecting in my sense of what it means to me in one way. I don't have to think you. <laughs> you know, I don't, to, I don't have to think I'm reflecting, I'm thinking of them and looking at me and da 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 do and anything to do with or get doubt, is this going to work or anything like that. It's actually staying with, with it. We say come back into the present, always come, coming back into the present. We're never out of the present. Past and future, things which appear come appear here now. There is just the present. And then if we persevere with this just reflecting and also very much taking into consideration our feelings and our, our body, when people first come to monasteries or first get interested in Buddhism, they sometimes come with because people come into a place with issues, you know, by either being upset or we're confused about life. We don't know what life's about. Many, many different things. Um, and especially if we've come upset, we've had some unpleasant experiences in life or aware of unpleasantness and, or we react. We react very strongly to things. So we have an emotional... So these are things that have to be... When we first come into a monastery, this is for newer people, we have to bear with this. Bear with these things. And, and the, the other thing is, if I can get rid of them, I mean, if you're real skilled, skilled in concentration, you can go into a jhana, you could 
going to another dimension of reality, basically. When you come out, mind is bright, and that, not, that doesn't mean I'm a professional journalist or anything like that. But there's moments in most meditators thing where they've had the very clear mind, bright mind, which has lasted, the after effects last a long time. And, um, and you don't necessarily even have to have jhana to have this. Um, so they, they're expecting, when can I get rid of all this crap that keeps coming up or emotional stuff that keeps coming up? And I can get into the real meditating, you know, nice bright mind which I can sit in for the rest of my life. You know, when in actual fact it's it's all that stuff. That stuff can be in the body, can become emotional responses. They can become, you can put aside breathing and just go on feelings and emotion. You can be with an emotion. And just an example, I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for someone to come from Germany. You know, I've been meditating 40, over 40 years. And I'm waiting for someone to come from Germany for me, which my family ordered. It's nothing special. It's not a television or a really expensive computer or anything like that. But um, I, keep, I keep sending a note. This is going, going to come tomorrow. We're coming in tomorrow. If you're having a bit of trouble, we're coming tomorrow. It's been coming into tomorrow every day. You know, not, not to me, but I know that's the thing. So one part, one part of me is suddenly I come and sit and meditate in the evening. So the first thing I think... Why don't they just say they can't send it or something like that? So, so then, you know, and then you, you're left with not knowing, is it going to come? Isn't it going to come? You know, and we, you know, I know that's just crap. It's just the nonsense of the mind, you know. So, you see, normally if I was a younger, <laughs> younger person, I'd be thinking, well, do me out of Panasati. Well, why don't it come? <laughs> you know, but so I sit there, I sat there the other day when it came out. And I just go straight to the feeling of, of that. Well, it is. I don't know whether it's going to come or not going to come. That can affect the whole body. But then if I just sit with that, that's reflecting. Then what happens, that has a magical effect on the mood. Because as the mind becomes balanced on the feeling, then the nature of that mood starts to change and shift and move. And then in a little while, I'm sitting there <laughs> quite content. It's just that you've used the thing. And it's not always going to be happen like that. If you've had a real big upset, you know, you can, you, you can, it can come up in the night. And then, especially if you're a young person in a monastery, you sort of think, oh, I'm fed up. I've got to run away from this. You know, I can't cope with this. But um, you just bear with it. And these things start to wear down. We, we do that. What? Ajahn Chah would say it's the upayas, the skills. You know, so then, then the mind starts becoming big enough that you, you really become aware of the space in the mind. And I said to some, somebody after the meal, you know, I said, you could come into a room like this and you just notice all the monks and the columns and the thing and the Buddha and everything like that. But Ajahn Samedo always used to use this thing of concept of space all the while. And I've had that. I'm not an Ajahn Samedo. But one of the, they say it's one of the blessings of dyslexia is that you've got big spatial awareness. So I was always, when I was a kiddie and I could always draw, I was always drawing Egyptians in their chariots and they'd be in deserts with space, lots of space. And I used to like painting little thin teen clouds in space. And, um, but, but when this develops, when the mind, mind develops more, 
you know, our attention demands, and we start letting go, a lot of this stuff gets dissolved away. You come into a room and then you're with the room and the space and the columns and the people and the Buddha. And it's peaceful because your, your attention isn't getting stuck on all the things that are in there, the columns and the as individual things, you know. But when we first come to meditation, there's a lot, there's actually a lot going on. So what we're always trying to, what we're always trying, what I'm always trying to encourage is faith, faith to carry on, you know. I hope I don't run away next week. <laughs> You'll be going, why am to that old mate when he ran away last, last week? He just about had enough, you know. <laughs> So that's what we try to uh, encourage all the while. But in a simple thing like mindfulness or something like, it takes many things. It's it's uh, as Long Paul says, and we all you know have this sense of it, you know, you can't put your finger on the mind, you've got, you start to have a place where the spaciousness which you can return to in yourself for peace, you can't put your finger on it, it's described as space or something like that, there's no preference, it, you know, you can't describe it in any way whatsoever. It just is and it knows, it, know, it knows experience, as you experience you become more and more aware of this, that's what we. That's what we're working on, and in that, in that, there becomes some understanding. Then you can read a book, you can read a sutta or a, something, you know, in Buddhist, and then you know how that how that fits together, and why that is. Like you know what sila is, why sila works, what sila works, because our mind is like a computer; it has to have the right input to get the uh, results, good results, to have right mindfulness. People use the expression mindfulness, but there's a lot of wrong mindfulness. Real mindfulness is, is mirror-like. It reflects, but it's not a mirror which is... In Kabbalah, they use this expression, uh, the center which is... The center which has ed ev edges everywhere. It's, it's a mirror that just reflects. I've described that sort of mind when our mind reflects of the nature of things. If we get angry, we can get angry. But as soon as the mindfulness is, lift, is lifted or raises up on its own, in its own, in its own time, then anger immediately starts to show its, uh, the reflectiveness of the mind, starts to show the characteristics of the anger, so the anger falls away. So that's why someone who's a fully enlightened person, there's no problem with anything because everything is automatically revealed by the mind, by mindfulness. That's why I say Lompur Dun says, discerning mind is the way. So I have the faith to have that. I, I say that mind is like, a, it's like a mind, it's like if you'd get a mirror which reflects conditions, you have a mirror and then it reflects. Oh, reflects your face or if something goes in front of it, it reflects it. It reflects it, reflects it. But then what, what does a mirror reflect when it turns on itself? If we reflect on our own mind, 
that knowing mind. That's like a mirror that turns on itself. If you have another mirror, if you had two mirrors facing each other and saying and putting it that there is light, some light, what would reflect in the mirror? Could you say that the mirror, has the mirror got a surface? The mirror, you wouldn't see the surface of the mirror because it's just reflecting the, the other surface of the other mirror. Lumpur said the other in his talk about being in the dark, going in a cupboard. And uh, I had an ex the same experience years ago of waking up in a, a very black room, really completely dark. And when I woke up, my mind was nice and still. And I suddenly thought, what knows the night? Awareness knows the night, knows the dark. So the mirror, this, this, the mind can reflect day, night, Everything, it can reflect on everything. And I've heard cases of some people, not necessarily Buddhists, but who've got that kind of mind in some sort of spiritual, you know, spiritually inclined, or just naturally good beings, high beings, who found themselves in the most horrific situations and being able to accept and reflect. On them and find, found joy in the most horrific places and other peoples have remembered them I mean I won't go into situa situations where it's occurred the horrific situations where it's occurred so that's what this reading is about <laughs> it's, it's from the third Zen patriarch and uh, I say it's originally in Chinese. Most probably, most probably, yeah. Perhaps Sister Sundra can recite it off by heart. <laughs> you know, she was back then when all these everybody had one of these little booklets. But it's a nice, it's a good expression of it. It's quite funny when you're going to give a talk, because people who've given talks. Now, you know, you ponder, you think, what am I going to talk about? It's always, for me, it's always a, not really difficult. I don't sit in my room worrying about it because I know the nature of my mind, I'll forget about it. And even when I'm sitting before the talk, I might come, as long as I've got a starting point, I can go, you know. That's why in retreats, I quite like if someone has a question because if someone has a question, that, trig that triggers me, you see. That trig is a triggering. It's to even in that to have a faith that uh, something will come up. If we open enough, if we open up enough, then something will come out. Come out. Might be wise, might be stupid, <laughs> but something can happen. A monk who's not a monk now, he said that he dreaded. I was sitting on this seat. This is for the young monks. And then time comes. He said he dreaded on this seat and then suddenly dropping into that place where there's nothing. Can't think of anything and suddenly everybody's looking, waiting for you and you've dropped into this great hollow hole. Completely self-conscious. <laughs> <You know. laughs> I said, that sounds quite, quite a nice place actually. 
to be there. So it's an encouragement to practice, to practice. Keep bringing our attention back to our, whether we want to call it mindfulness or self-awareness or just being. In England, there used to be really many people were smokers, weren't they? I was a smoker at one time, years ago, many years ago now. And uh, when I was young, I, I, my father used to smoke. And just looking at an ashtray used to revolt me, you know. And then, um, when I was a teenager, I had a girlfriend, and she smoked menthol cigarettes. Mint, these minty cigarettes. And uh, I said, the only thing I don't like, and I had a sore throat, and she said, have one of my menthol cigarettes that cool your throat down. And I said, no, no, the only thing I don't like is that you smoke living cigarettes. And she said, go on, it'll cool your throat down. And I said, oh, go on then, give me one. I'll have a go. And I took on this menthol. Within two weeks, I was in normal cigarettes, 20 a day. <laughs> and then it took me about 20 years to give up. You know, that's how strong the habit was. And then people come here, we see someone walking around our monastery with cigarettes. You say, Look at them, why don't they go out smoking? Can't they go out smoking? But we're all addicted, we're psychologically addicted. Because our mind, our mind, our mind comes up with stuff, and this thing, this thought seems reasonable, it hooks onto. It hooks onto. It takes them as takes this thing as real. It's an addiction, psychological addiction. So what we're doing is we're gradually learning to let go of the addiction. And you can see a packet of cigarettes; they become meaningless in that kind of simile. All the stuff comes up, and it's similar. You can sort of just throw it aside. You see, it's meaningless. You know, not all the while. I'm talking from an idealistic point of view. Doesn't mean I walk around like this, just letting go of everything. Something years ago said to Ajahn Smeda, how do you let go? How do you let go? And he picks up a thing and he just went, you see? He said, there you go. Huh. <laughs> see, that's how you let go. And my favourite, my, I mentioned it on the last talk, I started saying, starting off talks like it, because I like it, is that, I always, oh, sorry, microphone. <laughs> I like this thing of the fish, you know, and I, on the last one I go, body, feeling, perception, conception, consciousness. And this is the tension, is the sense of self. So what we're learning to go, so as we can contemplate feeling, body, Perception, conception, consciousness. And you could do it earth, air, fire, water. If you're six elements, consciousness, space. And then you can, and we're learning to go like this. And you say, oh, it's space. 
spaciousness. I think the Buddha advised his son Rahula to contemplate space. Build up, I'm going to give his little talk, this recital now. <laughs> I thought, if I just read this straight off, it's only 10 minutes. I say, I always just use that to get out of giving a talk. Where are the glasses? I said, Sister Sundra and I were talking this morning. We said, I said, you know, people came at the mealtime. There was a young, he's, I think he's here. There's a young lad sitting, another young lad came after the meal and he looked about 13. And I thought, how is getting younger and younger? And sister said, she don't mind me talking, <laughs> talking like this, bringing her into it. Um, there are a couple of old, oldies. Um, she said after, she said, isn't it funny, she said, when you get to our age, you start noticing people keep dying. <laughs> who you know, you know, so it's funny. Now I contemplated today, we got the younger ones coming up, young, the young are coming into the world and, and we're getting ready to leave the world, you know. And the ones in the middle are the ones who are kind of settled, who, who haven't, got, haven't got to the point where they're saying, Christ, I've got to sort this place out before it's time to go, you know. So. <laughs> Then when you get to our age, you start thinking how a lot of people, even when I think of this thing coming, coming from Germany, which not turning in the post, I sort of think, hell, I might not have long to use it. I was contemplating, why am I thinking, when's this thing coming? I might not have long to use it. In a couple of weeks, I might be dead. <laughs> why am I? But then I sort of think, well, I wish they'd send it quicker. Then at least I can get a couple of years, a bit of use out of it. I hope this is making sense, all this, some of this. I'm sure a bit of it is. <laughs> You're all out of focus now. I said something after the meal. I said, we all have a different view of the world, of everything, just we sit in here. I said, you people sitting in front of me now, each one of you is looking at me from a slightly different angle. So just your view through your eyes is completely different. Venerable back there. She's a dumber. He's seeing me up here, the back of Ajahn Rato's head. It's got a completely different view of the room and the sense of the people around. Each person sitting has got a completely different sense of being. And within each one of us a sense of being, we've got thoughts that come and go. We've got our personal history. We've got everything. We're all living in a completely different place. Completely, with certain likenesses we've all got. And then you're all looking at me and you look, well, some of you are nodding off, but <laughs> I remember listening to a talk. It was a very good talk by Ramdas many years ago called Seasons of Our Lives. It was actually a beautiful talk. It was about the 1970s, an excellent talk. And it was like psychology and religion and it wrapped up and it was so, so well-rounded talk. I can always remember it. And he said about the moment you become aware, self-aware of yourself, um, I disagree with a bit because he said, oh, you're, you, once you're awakened to this, you can't fall back to sleep. But I think that you can recondition ignorance. You know, we say that our problem is ignorance. Like in Paticca Samapada, we ign ignorance or not knowing. See, so 
so what we're doing, we're looking when we reflect. If I sit here like this and take in all you lot, I'm reflecting through the eye. See? But then I can recondition not reflecting, keep looking away, go and read in a book. So, you know, it's like once you're awake, you won't fall back to sleep. But I remember in this talk on the tape, he says, he's saying to a big audience, he said, once you're, awake, you can't, you, once you're awake, you can't fall back to sleep. And then he goes, you can doze. In other words, some of the audience was nodding off, nodding off in front of him. Anyway, this you have to listen. Can you hear me at the back? Can you hear me clearly? I'm going to speak in my best voice. <laughs> if I, haven't, I haven't read this out loud for a while, so if I fumble a bit, it's that my word blindness has cut in. And it's little teeny print. And I'm old, so I need a big magnifying glass. And I used to know it off by heart, but I don't know it now. So you have to bear with me, and just for the users not heard this, there's one person I know in this room that really wants to hear this and he's going to be very attentive and if I catch sight of him nodding halfway through, I'm going to tell him off after, so you've got to sit very quietly and you haven't got to think whatever's written whatever I read out, don't start thinking well I don't know whether that's true or I wonder if that's true, oh I agree with that And don't think about it, don't ponder it just let it in, you've just got to let it in I wanted to do. I wanted to do a retreat where every evening I took a verse of this, and then I sort of discussed it a bit, <laughs> or tried to discuss it. I'm not the third Zen patriarch. I'm not the second. I'm not the fifth. <laughs> Anything like that. But the thing is, when I give ten day retreats, even though people know I can talk the hind leg off of a donkey, on retreat in the daytime I demand silence, and even I'm silent. I actually love silence, believe it or not. We are very old friends, myself and Yana Rato, so he knows what I'm like. So in the retreats, I demand total silence, see, and then I thought about, oh, one time I do this with this, this. But in the evening, you see, there's always a bowl with questions in. So I've only got to have two questions in there, and I've got two hours talk. So I never get round to doing this. Now listen attentively, mindfully, open. Don't have any opinions about it. This is a, he'll mention this. Are you all sitting comfortably? The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against that which you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. The way is perfect like vast space, where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. 
Indeed, it is due to our choosing to accept, uh, choosing to accept or reject that we do not see the true nature of things. Live neither in the entanglements of outer things nor in inner feelings of emptiness. Be serene in the oneness of things and such erroneous views will disappear by themselves. When you try to stop activity to achieve passivity, your very effort fills you with activity. As long as you remain in one extreme or the other, you will never know oneness. Those who do not live in the single way fail in both activity and passivity, assertion and denial. To deny the reality of things is to miss their reality. To assert the emptiness of things is to miss their reality. The more you talk and think about it, the further astray you wander from the truth. Stop talking and thinking, and there is nothing you will not be able to know. To return to the root is to find the meaning, but to pursue appearances is to miss the source. At the moment of inner enlightenment, there is going beyond appearance and emptiness. The changes that appear to occur in the empty world we call real only because of our ignorance. Do not search for the truth, only cease to cherish opinions. Do not remain in the dualistic state. Avoid such pursuits carefully. If there is even a trace of this and that, of right and wrong, the mind essence will be lost in confusion. Although all dualities come from the one, do not be attached even to this one. When the mind exists undisturbed in the way, nothing in the world can offend. And when a thing can no longer offend, it ceases to exist in the old way. When no discriminating thoughts arise, the old mind ceases to exist. When thought objects vanish, the thinking subject vanishes. As when the mind vanishes, objects vanish. Things are objects because of the subject, the mind. The mind subject is such because of things, object. Understand the relativity of these two and the basic reality, the unity of emptiness. In this emptiness, the two are indistinguishable and each contains in itself the whole world. If you do not discriminate between coarse and fine, you will not be tempted to prejudice an opinion. <coughs> to live in the great way is neither easy nor difficult, but those with limited views are fearful and irresolute. The faster they hurry, the slower they go and clinging, attachment, cannot be limited. Even to be attached to the idea of enlightenment is to go astray. Just let things be in their own way, and there will be neither coming or going. Obey the nature of things, your own nature, 
and you will walk freely and undisturbed. When thought is in bondage, the truth is hidden, for everything is murky and unclear, and the burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. What benefit can be derived from distinctions and separations? If you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas. Indeed, to accept them fully is identical with true enlightenment. The wise man strives, strives to know goals, but the foolish man fetters himself. There is one Dhamma, not many. Distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. To seek mind with the discriminating mind is the greatest of all mistakes. Rest and unrest derive from illusion. With enlightenment there is no liking no dis and no disliking. All dualities come from ignorant inference. They are like dreams or flowers in air, foolish to try to grasp them. Gain and loss, right and wrong. Such thoughts must finally be abolished at once. If the eye never sleeps, all dreams will naturally cease. If the mind makes no discriminations, the 10,000 things are as they are, of single essence. To understand the mystery of this one essence is to be released from all entanglements. When all things are seen equally, the timeless self-essence is reached. No comparisons, or, no comparisons or analyses are possible in this causeless, relationless state. Consider movement stationary and the, and the stationary in motion. Both movement and rest disappear. When such dualities cease to exist, oneness itself cannot exist. To this ultimate finality, no law or description applies. For the unified mind, in accord with the way, all self-centered striving ceases. Doubts and is, is, irresolutions vanish, and life in true faith is possible. With a single stroke, we are freed from bondage. Nothing clings to us, and we hold to nothing. All is empty, clear, self-illuminating, with no exertion of the mind's power. Here thought, feeling, knowledge and imagination are of no value. In this world of suchness, there is neither self nor other than self. To come directly into harmony with this reality, just simply say when doubt arises, not to. In this not to, nothing is separate, nothing is excluded. No matter when or where, enlightenment means entering this truth. And this truth is beyond extension or diminution in time or space, in it a single thought is 10,000 years. Emptiness here, emptiness there, but the infinite universe stands always before your eyes. Infinitely large, 
and infinitely small. No difference. For definitions have vanished and no boundaries are seen. So too with being and non-being. Don't waste time in doubts and arguments. They have nothing to do with this. One thing, all things, move among and intermingle without distinction. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To live in this faith is the road to non-duality because the non-dual is one with the trusting mind. Words, words. The way is beyond language for in it there is no yesterday, no tomorrow and no today. Anyway.